glad to be able to connect with you, at least in this way. I know it isn't ideal, but um, we just think for safety, for being able to love our neighbor, for just being responsible. We think this is the best way to kind of uh, be able to connect in this time. And I also pray that you'll be able to still be in small groups and be able to find fellowship in that way. But I look forward to being able to talk to you and continue our series and covenant relationships. And so we want to jump into this week looking at uh, the marriage covenant. So we've looked at lots of different kinds of covenants. This time we're going to be looking at marriage. Now when I think about marriage, it seems as though most of us uh, see marriages in a more uh, contractual kind of way as opposed to a covenant. And we say, look, I'm in this for I would like kids, I would like companionship, I would like perhaps physical intimacy, and we kind of make a deal with, uh, with the, the person that we're married to that this is what I'm going to be uh, providing and it's what I expect from you. And then they say the same kinds of things and we kind of make up a contract. Uh, and then if either uh, partner does not live up to their end of the contract, then the contract is dissolved. And it feels very justified to say it's... Uh, it's you know, it's okay that uh, we end this relationship because obviously we didn't fulfill the contract the way that we agreed and so we should be able to part ways and uh, no hard feelings. But God describes marriage as a covenant. And covenant, as we've talked about in the last few weeks, is much different than a contract. So what is this covenant about? What is this pledge or promise that we're wanting to give to our spouse? What are the... Uh, qualities of that covenant. When I think about this, I think about the, uh, the ways that we describe what marriage is ultimately about. And maybe what comes to mind is the Song of Songs, that marriage is a kind of a, a romantic um, um, love affair, and that what this relationship is built on is that level of romance. And we think that maybe the covenant is to somehow be able to maintain that level of, of being perhaps infatuated with one another and in love with one another. And we say that this is, this is what we're striving for. This is what we have agreed to do. And we kind of see it as the ultimate expression of what a marriage covenant should be about. When we look at what uh, marriage counseling is, there's even forms of marriage counseling that says that the best way to build a healthy marriage is through emotional connection. Well, of course, there's nothing wrong with that, but is that really ultimately what this marriage covenant is about? Is to have some kind of emotional uh, connection that we need to promote and maintain. Perhaps something that is even more common, at least in Christian circles, is to say we, we quote Ephesians 5 and we say that marriage is about love and respect. And we say that this is ultimately what we are agreeing to do. Uh, the husband says, I'm going to lay down my life for you and, and love you. And the, and the wife says, well, I'm going to respect you. And we say that that is ultimately what this covenant is about. Now, obviously, both of these things have a biblical basis. But what I'd like to do is look at the first description given about how a husband and wife are to relate to one another. And it's in Genesis 1.28. This is what it says. Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Now, I don't know about you, but I haven't heard any marriage vows. 
I haven't heard any couples describe that this is the ultimate covenant that we're trying to fulfill in marriage, is to be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, and subdue it. I just don't hear that very much. Uh, this, in a sense, maybe a way to describe this, is a covenant of expansion. That the reason why a husband and wife are coming together is actually to expand, to fill the earth, and then the word for subdue can also, and, or govern, can also be to, um, to kind of, on God's behalf, steward the earth. Now, I haven't heard a lot of people describe this being the primary reason for getting married. Uh, I also don't hear it as being the primary reason for marital discord. Can you imagine a, a husband or wife saying, you know, honey, I'm really upset with you because we agreed that we would fill the earth and subdue it, and that's just not happening the way that I expected and imagined it to be. I mean, there's just, we're just, we just don't talk that way. Uh, we've really quite effectively, uh, particularly in Western society in the modern age, have kind of left behind that creation mandate, and so that we've kind of moved on from that, and we've made it much more about love and intimacy and romance and connection and all kinds of things that are about the husband and wife kind of getting along together and being happy together. But what we see in Genesis 1.28 is something that's much wider and more profound. It, it seems as though the marriage is supposed to be promoting something greater than itself. This idea of God bringing his love and authority to earth through marriages, through a husband and wife being fruitful, that's obviously through physical intimacy and through having children, and then uh, governing the earth through their children and bringing uh, this idea of shalom to all of creation. This seems to find its way out of the mind of most couples. But how about in Ephesians 5, 24 and following, where it, it talks about now, what a husband and wife, how they're to relate to one another. This is the most extensive passage on marriage. And so it's what most marriage sermons and when people, when Christians think about marriage, they refer to Ephesians 5. Well, let's look at what it says. And what I want you to notice is even though uh, the Apostle Paul is talking about a relationship of a husband and wife, he keeps tending it to be about Christ and the church. Listen to this. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So he keeps making marriage some kind of model or reflection about how we're to re re relate to Christ in the church. And then in verse 31, it says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Doesn't that sound excellent? They go, okay, that's what's really going on. Is a husband and wife becoming one flesh? That's what I've been taught. And then th listen to what it says in the next verse. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So even when it sounds like he's making a statement that can only be understood as being about a husband and wife being united, he says, actually, what I'm really talking about is Christ's relationship with the church. And so it seems as though just as we find in Genesis 1, we also see it here in Ephesians 5, that marriage is about serving something greater than itself. 
And in Ephesians 5, it's about somehow us reflecting Jesus uh, to one another and to the world. That marriage is serving something more important than just the, even the, the care for a husband and wife toward one another. Now, of course, that's, of course, we're to still do that. But the point is, is that there's something bigger going on. So if we can summarize what this covenant is between a husband and a wife, we can say that it's a husband and wife uniting to reflect and expand God's love and authority. So the expansion is referring to Genesis 1, reflecting Jesus as relationship with the church. That's about reflection. And so somehow the agreement that a husband and wife are to make is we are committing ourselves to expand God's love and authority on earth and to have the kind of relationship that mirrors the kind of relationship that Jesus wants with his church. For some of us, then, this can be disappointing. I remember talking to somebody who was, who was doing some, uh, some work for us, a really nice guy. He was talking about his marriage and how they've decided to not have kids. And uh, he was saying, you know, I, I, I looked at marriages that had kids and, and my wife and I just decided we just didn't want that kind of relationship. It just seemed like a lot of work. Uh, they're always exhausted, lots of responsibility. So what we've decided as a husband and wife is just to travel a lot and just enjoy one another. And so this idea of expansion or having a call that's greater than loving and caring for one another is really out of his mind. He doesn't think about it at all. And maybe we're a lot like that too, that we say, look, why complicate it? Why can't marriage just be about us? And maybe this is a, say, a way to say, why can't marriage just be about me and about the needs that I have and the desires that I long to have fulfilled? And of course, I'll do that for my spouse as well. But really, why complicate matters? Why not just say it's just about the two of us learning how to have an enjoyable relationship? But here's what I would like to present to you. What if marital discord is not about poor performance in that contract? What if the reason why uh, a husband and wife don't get along is because they're not kind of fulfilling this agreed upon contract that says, I'm here for you, you're here for me, and this is just all that's going on. And uh, if we're not doing well, it means we're not performing well enough in terms of, of, uh, of meeting each other's needs. What if, and this is what I'd like to present to you, what if the pledge, this covenant promise, is actually first not to one another, but to God? What if the reason why we struggle in marriage is because we have pledged ourselves to the wrong person, in a sense? What if we thought that it's primarily a pledge to one another when in fact it's two people pledging something to God? What if that's what's really going on? What if our covenant is not just uh, the covenant of marriage, is not just a covenant that's made, imagine a marriage ceremony, is not just a covenant that's made before God, it's actually a covenant that is made to God. I think this is an absolutely profound way of thinking. And it helps explain what's going on in Genesis 1, what's going on in Ephesians 5. Uh, I'm thinking also of what 
we read in Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2 is describing a, a, a sin in Israel where a, uh, where a husband and wife are being unfaithful to one another. And it's interesting because it says, listen to this. It says, uh, this is Malachi chapter 2. It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Okay, so we go, okay, that makes sense. God doesn't want us to be unfaithful to our spouse. But then he says, has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. And so he says, actually, your marriage has a responsibility to me. Not just to one another, but to me. And if you're breaking covenant, the first covenant that you're breaking is actually not in fact toward one another. It's actually toward me. And when you break a covenant, uh, uh, if you break covenant with me, then you're breaking covenant with one another. But it's first about our relationship with God. What a fascinating way to think. That, uh, that the covenant that God is inviting us into is a husband and wife agreeing together to do something and to be something that God has called them to be together, united to do. That's a very different way of thinking about marriage. So what does this expansion and reflection look like? This responsibility that we have to God as a husband and wife to accomplish. I think that when we look at the New Testament, the primary way that what expansion looks like is the idea of hospitality. Hospitality in the New Testament is the most uh, uh, frequently described good work that God commands us to do. It's mentioned seven times in the New Testament, and it's about, uh, it's about having homes that are inclusive. Now, you can imagine how this is running contrary to how most people view marriage, where, you know, they, you even have uh, families that have decided to have kids, and they can just hardly wait for the time when the kids finally grow up, and they can be empty nesters and just enjoy one another. Yet, it seems as though what the Bible prescribes is that from start to finish, marriages are about expansion. And what that expansion looks like is having homes that are inclusive. Not homes that keep people out, not homes that keep things as small as possible, kind of the idea of the nuclear family. But there is an understanding in the New Testament that, uh, that what family is about is more than just, uh, uh, classically speaking, a, a mom and a dad and, and, and a couple of kids. It's the Greek word oikos. And this means a relational network. And when the New Testament talks about family, they're talking about family as being an extended relational network that is all walking together in unity. That what, uh, what marriage is to be is to, a is to be a place where hospitality can be profoundly practiced. And this is exactly what we see. We see that the way that the church was formed was in two places, in temple courts and house to house. That the, that the home and what a husband and wife created in that home was, was to be the center of church life, the center of community. 
and it was to be understood to be an inclusive experience. Uh, Debbie and I have been married for um, almost 35 years, and I think in all of those years, three of those years, it was the first few years of our marriage, we, it was just the two of us. And ever since then, uh, between having our own children and having other people live with us, we've always had an open home. And uh, our decision to do that really had almost nothing to do with her and I uh, deciding to personally enjoy one another. We believed that the reason why God called us together was to extend God's love and authority on this earth. It's why we were together. We could, we could fulfill the covenant that we've made with God, the pledge that we made to Him. We could fulfill that better together than apart. And so there's been times when having a full house and having people live with us has been difficult on our personal relationship with one another. But we see that as being the cost of what God has invited us into. It's actually noble in our thinking that we would be able to suffer in our relationship for a greater good. That what if there's a bigger thing going on and that marriage is meant to serve that mandate? It's a great way to think. So the expansion of God's kingdom through homes primarily looks like hospitality. Well, what does reflection look like? What does it look like for a, uh, for a husband and wife to reflect Christ's relationship with the church? I think the best way to describe this is what we see being challenged in marriages is this idea of faithful love. The most profound foundation that a marriage is built on is the idea of faithfulness. And this runs in direct contradiction to the idea of contract, where contract says, if you don't fulfill your uh, obligations that you made on our wedding day, then I am thoroughly justified in being out of here. But what marriage, biblical marriage is built on is I have decided to delight myself in you, to give myself to you, and to join together in the purposes of God, regardless of your performance or behavior or whether you deserve it or not. This is what the human soul longs for, to be able to have the kinds of relationships that are not built on performance, but are built on unconditional love, which the Bible calls faithfulness. When we look at that, uh, passage in Malachi chapter 2, this is exactly the indictment that, was, uh, that, was, that God brought against Israel, saying you have been unfaithful to one another. And that's actually a reflection of your unfaithfulness to me as your God. And so when I think about society today, I think about uh, there being no more rare equality than the idea of commitment. It's, uh, it's interesting. We've been looking at how to be able to, uh, to design our church in a way as we make disciples and help to train up people and equip them, help them to become better lovers of God, one another in the world, that what we've noticed is that whenever we have um, uh, classes, 
we've noticed our, our church is you know, 20 years old now, and we've noticed a trend in these 20 years that people are less uh, able or willing, you can decide you know, which one that is, uh, to stay committed to a class that runs uh, you know, over a number of weeks. We've noticed that uh, church attendance, uh, not just in our church now, but looking uh, across the landscape of the church at large, that it's now considered a faithful attender will uh, attend once a month. And that's considered somebody who's committed to the church. There seems to be something inside of our society that has made commitment optional. And this is profoundly reflected inside of the home, where uh, faithfulness is really not the prime mover that helps people make decisions. There's something else going on. But God would call us to remember what marriage is built on, and that then becomes a reflection for how God relates to us and how he's calling us to relate to him. And it's faithful love. Oh, how I pray that we could be a people that would have settled in our heart that we are a covenant people, that we make promises to God and to one another and we keep them. That, there's, uh, that we would be ashamed to be a people who don't keep our word. And that when we make a commitment to one another, it is till death do us part. This is the foundation of love and relationship. And it's the, perhaps the most profound expression of how Jesus Christ relates to his church. Is in thorough, uh, unqualified faithfulness. So, in conclusion, if this is what this covenant that uh, husband and wife make uh, to God, to one another, toward God, there is, uh, as, we, as we think about this, this uh, commitment to expand God's love and authority, to reflect Christ's relationship with the church, it's interesting to consider the power of agreement. That the reason why a husband and wife come together is that there is a unique level of power when two people agree to do something together that's more significant than if we just do it as individuals. Listen to Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 and 20. It says, Truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. That's profound. That if there's two people that agree to do something together and pray, God hears that prayer in a, in a unique way and responds to them. And it goes on in the next verse. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. That the presence of God is found in community. And this, of course, is a reflection of marriage. That God's presence is in a husband and wife being united, not just to each other, but to God and his plans and purposes. And in that place is supernatural power. This is just absolutely remarkable. In John 18, verse 17, it says, the testimony of two witnesses is true, that when a man and a woman agree together to follow Christ, 
to walk in covenant, to be people of faithfulness and commitment, to give themselves to something greater than themselves. There's something dynamic, spiritually uh, dynamic that happens in that agreement between the two of them. What this covenant does is bless not just themselves, although it certainly does that, it blesses their kids. Oh, how we need, the next generation needs to see husbands and wife, wives devoted to one another for as long as they live. Oh, how important that is. But more than that, it even blesses people who are single. Uh, it even blesses strangers. That when we have homes that have agreed to expansion and reflection, this becomes the foundation of society. These kinds of homes become what a, what a healthy church, what a healthy city, what a healthy nation is actually built upon. What a profoundly high calling that it's not just about whether you and me are happy. There's just this much bigger picture going on. And as we uh, sign up for that covenant, as we join in doing what God has called us to do, we find that the marriage itself, the relationship between the husband and wife itself actually gets blessed. But it gets blessed in the context of this bigger thing that's going on. Therefore, to find peace and joy, to find the connection that we long for in marriages, uh, it's found in rejecting, and this is the phrase that I'm, I, I want to use, it's found in rejecting marriage worship. The great irony is, just as we need to lay down our life in order to find it, we also need to lay down our marriages in order to receive them as God intended them to be. Can we entrust our marriages to God? Can we say, Jesus, I'm more interested in being devoted to you and to having this marriage be about you than be about me or just the two of us? Can we trust him by making marriage about him first? This is a big deal. But what we know, that just as we lay down our life to find it, and we lay down our marriages to find him, that, uh, that God then fills these marriages that have pledged a covenant to him with his presence. And when we have his presence, everything changes. Oh, how I pray that we would long for the presence of God in our marriages. And that longing would look like deciding to champion expansion and reflection. This is my prayer for us. And the result will be, as I've already said, not just a blessing to one another, but a blessing to the whole church community. Things would radically change as we take up this covenant promise. I'd like to pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for, uh, for those who are listening, who have, uh, who have decided to be married and enter into this covenant. And I pray that you would bring clarity into their hearts, that they would know what this covenant is truly about. That it's not just about mutual happiness. It's about expanding your kingdom on earth, expanding your love and authority on earth, having a relationship that reflects Jesus' relationship with the church so that other people can tangibly see what Jesus is like and how we're to, to relate to him. Oh, Father, I pray that these marriages would have a bigger calling, a kingdom calling. 
And then I pray that in that place, those who are single, those who are outside of the church, those who, are, uh, who have been divorced, those who are struggling as single parents, I pray that, uh, that each one would find their place in these, uh, in these uh, oikoses, that they would find a place in covenant community to actually experience the, uh, the life that is found in walking together in covenant relationship with you. Oh, Father, redeem our marriages with this higher calling. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Oh,